everybody's had a nice week. Uh, as Jacob kind of led into in the beginning, Pastor Daniel is away in Honduras. Just shot me a message a second ago. Uh, I said, praying for you, man. And that's, uh, I always say that's the pastor you got leading your church. He's in the middle of Honduras on a mission trip. And he sends me a message praying for you. So um, it's such a, such a gentle, kind heart, though, that, is, that we are blessed to be following while he's here. So uh, I'm praying for their work over there in Honduras. You know, I've done uh, the Honduras trip with them uh, a few years ago. And it was a pretty wild group, man. We all had nicknames. I think mine was Machine Mendoza, uh, you know, from the Honduran people, you know. Um, but, it, you know, again, like if you've never experienced a mission trip, I, you know, it, of course, it's a, it's a very interesting topic, right? Because I, I get the, a lot of people counter like, oh, we'll do good stuff in international, but we won't affect our own communities. I don't believe that. I believe it's an easy ploy to say. I believe that we attempt that we can attempt to do good work in multiple locations. But I will tell you, an international mission trip will always make you understand what you have or what you don't have in North America. Um, full 100%. I always say, you know, the, in any group I've ever been with, I was like, it's amazing, right? They'll sleep on a dirt floor, concrete roof, no electricity, nothing that we have. We go to leave the mission trip. We're sitting there like, oh, my Lord, I could live here forever and stay with these people forever. And for them, they're like, man, see you all later. We're staying here. You know what I mean? They're not trying to come with us. I'm like, that's interesting, right? Like, don't we have it all or do we not have it all? But uh, again, praying for them. You know, for us, uh, it's been an interesting week. Miracles, and the wonder of God. And, um, you know, this week I felt led kind of a couple weeks ago to speak about fear, um, but also freedom. Uh, because oftentimes I, I feel that fear is the owner of our freedom, and we actually don't give it the full context of what we're fearful of, right? Uh, most things when I say fear, we go to things that I'm afraid are going to hurt me, right? Or bother me or kill me or damage me or in some way leave some sort of mark or impression upon my life. But I don't believe that fear can only be looked at from a singular lens. That fear can also be self-imposed over things we necessarily don't want to engage in. And uh, today's message, what I hope is that we kind of, we, we intertwine ourselves through that, right? Through multiple lenses and multiple paths to where we look at, yes, the things that are fearful to us, that we are fearful of as well, with that, the things that we kind of imposed upon ourselves um, due to different parts. It's very interesting this week. I think it was a Wednesday, maybe Wednesday, Tuesday. I can't remember what it was. I was having a conversation with a couple of guys who were, uh, who were a little bit younger than me, just a few years. But it was very interesting is they both told a story about this like gigantic kind of like captivation of their minds that is going on lately, like through anxiety and depression. Two human beings, not, I mean, nowhere near associated with each other, different walks of life, different jobs, different family dynamics, different everything. But I found it very interesting, their story, is they were both telling me offset of each other and they were feeding off each other on, on the problems of anxiety, depression, and, and the things that were wrecking their lives. And I was like, holy cow. I was like, man, I wonder if this is, you know, a lot more even prevalent than I give it credit for. Um, you know, how many of us are possibly dealing with, with the, the unspoken anxieties and depressions of life? And I, I'm pretty vulnerable with my story. I tell people all the time, like, my, my version of PTSD was not where I went back to the war. My version of PTSD was when the adrenaline left my body and I found anxiety and depression. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm a human. I feel again. Um, and I didn't know how to deal with those feelings. And I became very fearful of a lot of things. I became very feeling stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, am I dying? Right. And, or is this something wrong? And it would take me down these rabbit holes. And, and I say all that to open in because I want us to have a very big lens of fear. But I want to have a very narrow vision of freedom, um, because I believe that that fear comes big, big, big freedom. is pretty straight and forward. 
Um, so I want to dial us into the pathways today and talk about it. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I'm not a big slide person. As you know, I want you to kind of listen. If you want to write, you want to read in your Bible. I'm not, a, I'm not a big put your eyes up here. You can put your eyes wherever you need to be. But I want you to focus on it, right? Fear the owner of your freedom, right, is where my mind is at starting today. And, and in the Bible, we're going to go to the book of Mark. Um, you know, Jesus' beginning time with the disciples is very interesting to me because I think often we don't give it the context of, of our beginning time with Jesus, Right. Like we give it like, oh, the disciples, here's their beginning walk with Jesus. Well, what's our beginning walk as people with Jesus? Right. Like, you know, even when you think about it in the very beginning, even in Mark chapter one, Mark opens up. Right. Jesus had a very infamous saying to the disciples when he first met him. Did anybody remember what he said? It's very simple. Come follow me. Right. And we saw this unbelievable commitment to follow Jesus. Right. Like I'm all in. Yes, sir. I'm leaving everything. Jesus, I'm with you. Right. And I, and I often think we're very much like this as well. Like when we first have that moment of meeting Jesus in our lives, we're like, yeah, Roger that, sir. I'm behind you. Where are we going, God? It's good. It's euphoric in the beginning. Right. It feels good because we found Jesus. But that's just the beginning of the story. And then comes all the fun behind it. Right. Which is a life of following Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. Mark 4. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it. If not, I'm going to read it out loud. Mark 4, verse 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This is, to me, the fun of a walk of Jesus, right? Like, we've gotten through the fluff. We got through the beginning of the euphoric time. The disciples have got some fear in their lives. And, and even riding with the man who said, follow me, and they committed to it. And all of a sudden, the boat is sinking. And they're saying, <laughs> what is wrong with you, right? Save the boat. What are you doing? So let's dive in. Anybody ever been out in the offshore fishing? Anything like that? Anybody been way out there? A couple of us. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Way out there in the middle. Anybody ever been on a boat somewhere in the middle of the water? We're getting there somewhere. Anybody been in a swimming pool in the water? <laughs> water's crazy. Water, water's scary, right? Like water does not care who you are. Water is powerful. Um, you know, you think about the things that we've seen in our time, tsunamis or Hurricane Katrina, even Hurricane Matthew in here, you know, where water had an emphasis in the, in, in the scenario. Water is vicious. You get out there in the big blue, Right. And uh, I can only imagine what type of boat they were on in biblical times in the middle of the ocean. Um, don't think it was quite the, the Royal Caribbean cruise line at that time. But, uh, you know, you start catching waves out there. Um, you start catching water in a boat and you 100 percent. The fear of God is real out there in the water because nobody coming to save you. Right. Unless that little radio works and you hopefully Coast Guard or somebody's on a channel nearby that can come grab you. And it's you in that water right there. So. I don't think even in, let's not get confused, right? The disciples are human. They're in a boat that is getting capsized in the middle of the ocean. I don't care if it's go to the other side. You're in the middle of a storm. The boat's going to capsize. They're instantly in this moment of fear. So 
as we dive into it, right, what is, the, what is this story? Obviously, it's a miracle because Jesus used power, right, that he has instantly and said, quiet, calm down. And the water was good. So to me, this parable, this miracle of discipleship is what I think we should look at as a model of, right? So it's a story that we can definitely read on a few different levels for sure, right? We, we can interpret this in a few different, you think about it, there have been some great pastors and some great communicators and some great secular communicators who have made a lot of money on one-liners about storms in your life, right? There are some great, you know, what is, what is it, uh, Calm storms never made a great sailor. You know, all these things, right? Like all these motivational, I have no problem with it, right? Rock on, man. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great idea. Yeah. You know, uh, the storms in your lives, you know, the waves that come in, right? No doubt. Got it. You can analyze the story in the same context. There are storms in their lives. Check rods, right? But I think of it that for us, it's fair that we give it context to its time. We give it context to what exactly was going on in this time, but also, again, sticking in this thing. This is a parable of discipleship. The disciples are very new in their relationship with Jesus at this point in time. It is not in, oh, just think we're only in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 1 was where Jesus met them, right? So we're in the very beginning of this walk with Christ and how they did it. But uh, so I wanted to, to devote the first half of this morning to the original context, to the original text and the context. And then the second half, we'll kind of dive into our, our daily lives. But first and foremost, this is a miracle, right? Point blank and simple. This is a miracle. This is the power of Jesus. This is yet another showcasing of the power of God that is not in you or I. We cannot walk out to the ocean and say, calm storm, calm water. And the storm just goes, right? We can't walk out and touch the water and say, stop ocean. And it stops. That's not our power, right? It is a very clear early on separator to the disciples of the power of Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus is very genius in the methodologies he uses to showcase the power and the almightiness of him, right? It is not magic. It is to show that he is the creator and holds the creation in his hand at all times. And still to this day, that is applicable, right? So in the, the, the idea of discipleship, we, we go back to the beginning, and I, and I want us to stick here for just a second. In Mark 1, right, when it first happened, it said, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, interesting, still beside that sea, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, and they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat, and then with hired men and followed him. My whole point is... Again, where have we gone in such a short time? Follow me. They know nothing about this guy. You got people leaving fathers. You got people leaving jobs. You got people leaving things that have been comfort in their lives for a long time. And they follow this man. Then we get to the first part of turmoil, right? The first little like, oh man, it's getting a little rough in here. Who even are you? That didn't take long, right? Didn't take long. And how long does it take for us? When it's euphoric and good and high and life is great, Jesus is the king. I lose my job, I get, you know, something wild happens in my marriage, something wild happens in my relationship, something happens with my children, something happens with my work, something happens in life, it's going bad. Jesus, who are you? Can you not control this? It's very interesting how quick we pivot on the almighty power of Jesus based upon our idea of fear and faith, right? We are faithful human beings when life is good. But man, when it gets a little tough, whoo, 
Living on a prayer, right? That's a good one. We've heard that slogan a lot. Living on a prayer. But it's fair here because even in your lives, right, in my life, it's not a message of discouragement. The disciples are showcasing it for you and they change the world. The disciples were the beginning of Jesus' followers who helped change the idea of bringing Christianity to the modern world. And they are showcasing the same thing you and I do. Fear over faith. That, that captivates their freedom, right? It just captures it in the moment because fear took over and it was more than the freedom in Christ in that moment. So as we look at it then, then we, then we realize that we actually have a story, right, that is faith in the midst of fear or fear in the midst of faith, depending on what, what day of the week it is for us, right? Like, hey, I've got faith in the midst of these fears on a certain day. I got fear in the midst of faith in some other days. Uh, and I think that that is a very interesting dynamic in its own idea is what causes that thin line to separate between faith and fear. And we'll dive into that in a minute. But when we, when we look at this, what Jesus was, right? Jesus was in the stern of the boat asleep. And I think we have to put the whole situation here because you and I don't get to walk with Jesus in the flesh, right? But think about it. The storm is coming. Jesus is in the flesh in front of you. He's up in the stern of the boat sleeping, right? And when, when they wake him, it, it, they didn't call him Jesus, Lord, Master, Messiah. They said teacher, which I wonder, did they downgrade him? Because he wasn't present in the moment that they needed him present in to substitute their fear so that they could feel comfort again, right? Because uh, oftentimes, man, what is a fear response for us? We downgrade people or things around us to attempt to rise us back up above the situation. It's a very psychological warfare game that we play, but we try to shift the mental focus of where is my mind at because I want to get out of the fear, right? I want to get out of the fight or flight response that I have in this. And again, the disciples here were no different. And, and, and their cry of fear, doubt, they felt abandoned. And if you think about this, right, this is not the only time we hear this in the Bible from God's people that they, they give you fear or doubt or abandonment. We hear it in other times, right, where it says, where is God in the midst of my distress? Has God abandoned the people? It's a cry that is repeated in the midst of terror and distresses, even in our world today. Has God forsaken us? Has God forsaken me? Is God real? Is God relevant? Is God left us here? If God is so great and powerful and the creator, if God really cares about this world, then why do events in the world in my life happen as they do so negatively? Because if God is love and God is all-powerful, why would that happen? Why is that allowed? And often our response, right, that can often come from our uh, per se naysayers or those far from Christ, even us sometimes that know Christ, is that we can say, well, God doesn't have the power. God does not care about us or the creation anymore. God has given us free will. It is not about him. It is about us. And I think this is where you and I have to put a foot down as followers of Christ. Because you and I didn't write the story. God did. Mark, Matthew. Luke, John, they're authors in the Bible of what God breathed. So as we are authors in our time, in our life, 
realize you don't write chapter one, what I say is going to happen now. Chapter two, what I say is going to happen now. Because as soon as you start going down that line of thinking you have absolute control, the moment you don't have control is the moment fear will drop you on your knees. Because you had no longer realized and you got humbled to the idea of the, that you don't have control. I always say there's easy places to find this. Unfortunately, they are god-awful in life. God-awful. Uh, and again, most of you, a lot of you have been around, man, but you know, getting called years ago, and it was a sermon I gave, the hardest sermon I ever gave in my life was sit down with a young mother who lost a kid, right? Same kid, same age as, as, as my nine-year-old, born a couple weeks apart, died in a swimming pool. And I remember we were in Target here in Bluffton, we got that call to go to the hospital that night. And uh, man, you, you, you <laughs> have a conversation of faith in the midst of a child dying. Right? Have a conversation of faith in the midst of your spouse dying. Have a conversation of faith in the midst of tragedy that doesn't make sense to you nor I. But I challenge you, that's exactly where the, 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 the story of faith needs to be spoken about. Because that's where the author is writing the story that neither you nor I will often understand, and we may never. Right? Just like this. We don't understand why Jesus was asleep and didn't wake up. Besides the fact, it really instantly, we can prove a point that Jesus proved a point. Hey, you have no faith. You have no faith. You are 100% limited by your fears in your walk with me. I am not greater than your fear. It's very on display. But in, in our walk with Christ, in these tragedies that we'll face, right, where fear is at the forefront, and it is a very thin line between fear and faith. There's a very thin line that exists there. And, and, and as we can see, the disciples showcase it, right? You, you think about, I don't think you can ever lose the context. The disciples left everything they had to follow Jesus. Everything. If I walked to you right now and said, God, you know what? No, that's not fair. I'm not the pastor. Pastor Daniel walked to you right now and said, God is in my heart. And he's telling me for you to leave what you're doing. Follow me and spread the message of Christ. Be an interesting day. Be an interesting day. Who's hopping on that boat, right? Uh, can you get that in writing? Can Jesus, if it snows tomorrow in Buford, I believe it. Right? We, we start validating it. We want, we want this validation off of these calls. But again, I don't want to lose the context here, man. The disciples gave up everything to walk. Something bad happened, this big storm where their life was on the line, and they gave to fear. This thin line of fear and faith is what I believe actually puts us in captivity of freedom at all times, because we keep popping the line. And I think it's a lifelong lifing walk of faith to not hop the line back and forth. Do I think we're ever immune? I don't know. I'm not you. Do I think that if we can put our eyes in our in our in our our hearts and our minds and our souls aligned to the idea that I will never have complete control. This is a piece of time that is temporary, but the Lord Savior is my guiding light and I will live with him forever. There's something there to start with. Is it that easy now? Right? We, we've all dealt with tragedy where it, it, it's not fair. It's not fair to us. It's fearful to us. It makes us angry. It makes us mad. It makes us different things. It's the fear response. 
but it is what we're asked to, to walk in that freedom, right? But this thin line between fear and faith is that, you know, after Jesus uh, rescues the disciples, right? He calms it down, it's accomplished, the sea is calm, and now there is, is some time, right, for some instruction to the disciples. Often much like our lives, after Jesus calms the storm and we find back to that faith, there's some time for us to, to learn something and sit down and spend some time back with Jesus. And, and Jesus moves, right, to interpret this one more time, right? Jesus is the master of storytelling. He is the master of using parables to get messages across, which I think is beautiful in the context of getting people to understand who he is and what he can do. And uh, first and foremost, right, the, the Lord's care has been demonstrated from Mark 1 when he said, follow me. It's not Mark 4 where he saved him in the water or from the boat. It's Mark 1 when he said, follow me. That was the level of care of the Lord. That's the level of care he has in our lives. It's not Jesus will you save me from. It's Jesus has already saved you if you commit your life to him. There's not tears that is a this for that relationship with Jesus Christ, which we often can fall into if we're not careful, right? Like, ah, uh, I'm pretty good. I'm like a six out of 10 right now on my walk with Jesus. But, but he still hasn't given me that other job yet. And I'm not making more money. So I'm not up on level 7.5. I get the raise. I'm going to 7.5 though. I promise you, right? Jesus, give me a new car. I'm, I'm 8.5. And we start tearing it, right? And that's a very easy context. But we often have some very dark conversations with Jesus behind scenes that many people will not exploit, right? God, fix my marriage, and I promise I will follow you like never before. God, you help me parent my kids. You get them out of this. I will follow you like never before. We have some dark conversations, and I don't doubt in my mind, I will never ask you to raise your hand on a question like that, but I'll raise my hand. I've had some dark ones where I got into a this for that relationship with God because I needed help. I was afraid. I was afraid of the repercussions. I was afraid of the change. I was afraid of the things that were in my life. But as Jesus is teaching them right here, and I, and I don't think you even have to elaborate on it in the genius of Jesus, his only thing, he responds right away. Have you yet no faith? It don't take Jesus to go tell a, a, a you know, a 60-minute sermon. It don't take Jesus to break, sit down and cross his legs and let's have some one-on-one -on -one guidance time. Simply looks at a group. You don't have faith? That's it. Look, we can, we can pretty it up. We can doctor it up, put a bow on it, make you feel good every Sunday morning when you leave church. As I walk out singing my hymns, hallelujah. Then I get my song back in the truck. Where we just come? Jesus, who? Now, I'll see you next Sunday, brother, because I feel good coming out of church. Holy Spirit is in me. Because we, we want to feel good, right? We want Jesus to comfort us. And to imagine the disciples. You about died. You almost died. And you're looking for Jesus to come down and hold your hand and pat you on the knee like, you're good now. It's over. I'm here with you. Let us pray. No, you don't have faith. I think it shows you who Jesus was. I think a lot of times we can, we can paint some images of who we think Jesus is, because like I said in the beginning, God is love, God is peace, God is joy. 
And we, and we, I think we, you know, the pictures we've seen, man, I grew up in ba- the Southern Baptist Church. I always saw the, the, stone, the uh, stained glass windows, man, with Jesus with all the kids around his feet and the doves flying in the air. It was this beautiful picture of Jesus because he is beautiful, but it doesn't mean he's weak. And it doesn't mean that he is powerless. And it doesn't mean that he's going to have this empathetic level to say every time, it's okay, get back in the fight. Stay faithful with me. We can do it together. Do you not have faith? And that, to me, is for us to understand the relationship with Christ when we're looking for the multiple layers of Jesus, right? Like, come on, God, love me. Show me your love. Is he on the other side saying, do you not have faith? Are you just trying to put an earplug in that ear and listen to the other ear? Like, no, 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 give me some more. Do you not have faith? That was his instruction with all this chaos to the disciples. Out of everything he could have done, everything he could have said. Why? Because he understood the thin line between faith and fear and the captivity of fear in the Christian life. We've seen it demonstrated throughout the Bible, right? Paul, we always use him as a great example of the anti of that. Beat me more, beat, beat me more. I'll keep preaching the gospel, kill me. All right, and, and I always use Paul. Paul is like the pinnacle. Like, my goodness, I'm not Paul. There ain't no way. I'm, I'm not on that level yet, probably to stand up here and be, you know, beat me. I'm going to keep doing it. Maybe I will, I don't know. What I'm going to say is that's the pinnacle. Stories like this are often where we probably fit in a lot of times, right? Like, oh, gosh, here I go. I'm messing it up again. Jesus is looking at me. Do you not have faith? I've been faithful to you your whole life. I called you from where you were, and I brought you to this point in time. Do you not have faith? But when we look at these, the, the two vast different worlds and the acknowledgement of the kingdom of God and the presence of rule of God in our lives, we can continue to live in the world of fear and chaos, seeing ourselves orphaned or alone without the power of God, living in a world controlled by the power of Satan or the demonic, or we can be open to hearing the message and promise of Jesus in whom we are told that the kingdom of God has come in the midst and now offers a new future for you and I. The thin line between these two worlds is thin and risky, but in between them stands the gift and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to bring us down to kind of our last four which is I'm going to take it out of the context of we, we are removing from, from the disciples sitting in the boat. We're going to talk about you and I for just a little bit now, right? And I, the, these are four things that I've said on. I've said on fear for a long time, right? Most of you know my story, or at least a decent amount to it. Fear, fear is interesting to me. You know, a point in time in my life, I could jump out of things and jump in oceans and other countries and planes, whatever, you know, bullets flying, whatever. And I found fear again at one point in my life. So fear is very interesting to me um, and what it is. But the first point I want us to look at this morning is our fear is both a demonstration of our lack of faith. But it's also a demonstration of the love of comfort in our lives. All right. So I'm going to say that again, that our fear is often uh, a demonstration of our lack of faith. But it's also a love of the comfort in our lives. Oh, little faith, why are you so afraid? Right. But really, why are we afraid? Why do we get fearful in this life? Do we get fearful of disease? Do we get fearful of cancer, of heart attack, of sickness? Because you and I will both die on this earth. And we will not live forever. But the idea of death can put people 
in an incredibly bad spot in life to fear death. And you will be captive to the idea that you can defeat it or that you can change it. And of course, there are things that we can do. But the fear of the imminent, of death, unfortunately, is that we, we realize there's pretty much two deaths in life, slow and quick. Quick are often in the younger years of our adolescence, and slow is, I consider myself a slow death if it was tomorrow. I've given 40 years here on earth. I know it's tough, but I truly believe it's a very big thing that stops us from having complete faith in Jesus Christ, is to be fearful of things that we think we can control, and we absolutely have no control over, and we don't want to give it up. It is the unknown and complete lack of control that disables us from being the deep-rooted tree in faith that we often are when the comfort exists in our lives. When we are good and everything is riding high, we often are the deep-rooted tree of life in Jesus Christ. But it's when we completely lose control that we are often blown over and the roots are lifted out. And we're exposed for our lack of faith. The phrases that, that come to my mind with this, and, and many of you have heard them before, right, is some men, they, 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 they die twice. They die the first time at 85, and then they die again at 85 when we bury them. And, and I, I'm afraid that can often be our walk with Christ, right, is that at some point we become fearful of many things and we just stop. And we stay right where we were. We don't push the idea of growth. We don't push the idea of a deeper walk with Christ. We don't push the idea of doing more with our lives. We don't push the boundaries of continuing to grow in Christ and use and cultivate the gifts that he has given us to be something special in our lives. Because I firmly believe I do not care what your talent or your gifting is from God. And I don't say that rudely. What I'm saying is, is it yours to do something great with? And if you don't, it's not anybody else's fault. And it will never be somebody else's fault. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what, what the reason was to say, well, we, had, we didn't have this. I use my wife often, and even Daniel, many of them. They didn't come from big wealth or full-ride scholarships or anything that gave them this propelled forward liftoff in life. They worked hard and were faithful with what they had. And they've been given abundantly more. And I do not mean that financially. I mean in the blessings in their life. And that, to me, is the beauty of faith over fear, is to realize you are special, that God will protect you, because even if you think that protection ends if you die, you'll never know because you're dead. Your soul will then rise to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, and you'll never know what happened down here after that. It's over. But we live like we can move the needle on that often in our lives. Point number two, if we accept fear with faith, we can accept the outcome. This is tough. I'm going to say it again because it, it, it'll twist you. If we accept fear with faith, we can accept the outcome. Oftentimes, our grip on freedom is exactly the grip Jesus wants in his life from us. How hard we, we want to grip freedom on self-control and our own personal choices is what Jesus wants us to grip him with, right? 
But if I give you right hand and you grip this, and then I tell you to grip this, eventually it starts running out, right? You don't have room for it all. Our lives with Jesus is no different. If we grip self-control, if we grip self-served in the idea of comfort, in the idea of, hey, I've got it figured out. I'm good. I'm good. You can't grip it with freedom, with Jesus Christ, right? I was thinking about it yesterday. Um, I know my daughter was waiting for me to tell everybody that I had a race yesterday that I ran in, right? And, uh, but before that song, before I ran yesterday, I was listening to, I don't know if you've ever heard that song, Rise Up. Man, you ever listen to words in that thing, right? And uh, I was just listening to it coming into today, and I was thinking to myself, like, my goodness, right? The, the idea that, that oftentimes I'm waiting for, like, the perfect scenario to rise up, right? I'm waiting for the perfect criteria to be set, to rise up and get in my moment, right? I'm waiting for everything to be perfect so I can rise to the occasion. And Jesus is often just looking at us saying, do you not have faith? Rise up now. Do what you can do now. Do your part now. But the disciples, when we look at it, right, they were gripping this idea of of fear over faith in a moment, just like we often will. But but then the disciples, they just kind of went to this idea of blasting Jesus for not saving them instead of, interestingly enough, they didn't blast the Messiah with prayer, which I thought was very interesting in this story. And I think it's very interesting to pull out of our lives when we talk about the idea of accepting fear with faith. If I accept fear for fear, I often can get in the game of blasting Jesus, just like we've done, right? Like, Jesus, let it snow tonight. I'll believe you. I'm all in. Jesus, just give me this, and I promise you I'm done with the rest of everything else. And the disciples, they got fearful. Who are you? Can you not get up and save us? But nobody went to prayer. Nobody went to the strength of Heavenly Father, just guide us through, guide us through, stay firm, stay firm. Please, Lord, rebuke the sea, rebuke the sea. Calm us in the storm. I know it's going to be rough, but we can make it through with you, God. I know we can. Doesn't mean that all of a sudden it changes, no. But what it means is you're starting to release the control that you think you can fix it. And you're putting the control in what you know is already your outcome, which is an eternity with Jesus Christ. And as simple as that is to say, I don't think you can say it another way because I can't guarantee you anything else that happened here. I, I couldn't say that you'll live 20 more years and you'll do all these things in Christ or you won't. I can't say you'll live tomorrow. The only guarantees that I know out of the word of God is that if you give your life to him, you will have eternal life with him. That's all I can tell you. I'd love to preach prosperity to you and say, if you use your gifts, the Lord's going to bless your personal offering plate, but I can't. I'd love to tell you you're going to be rich and happy and whatever the things you need. I can't. It's not here. But if those are the things we think are of Christ and they're not happening, is that really what actually makes us fearful? It's because our own plan is not being carried out. It will never be in your control to change it completely, but it will be in your control 
to change it with your position of prayer, your position of mindset, your position of reactions. Just like the disciples, right? They could have simply bowed down in prayer and said, oh, Heavenly Father, calm the storm, or they could get up and yell at Jesus. Their reaction, just like ours. Just like ours. You'll never, ever control the storms in your lives. Ever. The majority of them. Because they usually impact other people and other things that are out of your control. You can do a lot. Man, some people, you know, can get really good at shifting a lot of things around for a long time to kind of negate the big eye of the storm for a while. But eventually it's going to crash you. The things that we often don't want to address, right, in life, the things that are ugly, death, divorce, disease, evil acts, bad things at work, losing people close to us, losing stuff close to us, anxiety, depression, mental health issues, emotional health, they're all going to be part of this world. They are. And many will be part of your lives. But they're all temporary. Every single thing I said is temporary. Every single one. There's only one long term, and that's your faith. And that's the beauty of having people in church that are young and old. Go talk to people who have been around a little bit longer than you, right? You'll probably find a common narrative in your life where they're going to tell you stories very similar, and you're going to look at them like, man, they're still faithful. And that's the beauty of it. Your freedom is it in you. It's going to be in your faith. Believe and trust in the unknown, the not seen yet. Your freedom comes at a cost that Jesus has paid. You have not. Your freedom also comes at a cost to put down our self-righteous belief that we can do it, we can handle it, often, often known as our ego and our pride. To accept that I alone will never be enough. But with him, I am. But God. Greatest Bible studies I ever did in a group setting was but God. Just because it was the power of the stories, but God. All was lost, but God. This was going on, but God. And to me, that's what we get to write, right? The beauty of it is the things that were happening in our lives, and we get back to say, and then we say, but God. And that is faith over fear. That is the miracles in the freedom in Jesus Christ. Last kind of point here. Fear is not only in the things that can hurt us, but it's also in the things and the ways that can change us. I'm going to say it again because this one's nasty. This will touch your heartstrings. It'll touch mine. Fear is not only in the things that can hurt us, but it's often and also in the things and ways that can change us. I'm going to dive into this one just a minute. Facing problems is hard and fearful. Facing truth is sometimes hard and fearful. Giving up stuff we enjoy is often hard and fearful. Giving our lives completely to Christ can be hard and fearful. Discipleship can be hard and fearful. Actioning this message that we heard today from the Bible can be hard and fearful. It's the things that often live in the shadows that actually bring us our fear in our lives because we still want to control them. It's the dark things that you don't tell people, often your spouse. And this is tough. And it will touch you deep. 
But if you think you have chambers to your heart that hide from Jesus, it doesn't work that way. If you think you've got 12 doors and you'll open 10 of them, but you want to leave the other things inside because they're nasty, Jesus already knows them. The problem is, is he's standing in front of you, not massaging you from an empathetic leadership model to say, it's okay. Keep doing it. Eventually, we'll, we'll deal with it. Because you know he's actually speaking inside of you saying, do you not have faith? Deal with it. Let your heart be open from a firsthand experience. The longer you keep the closed doors closed, the harder they ever become to open. And when you open them, the more stuff falls out. It's, it's nasty right there. That little part of fear that is not a feel-good part of this message is not going to send you home on a high. It ain't going to send you out here walking out the back door saying, I am filled with the Spirit, singing hymns, because it'll make you confront some stuff. I'm not saying you do it all at one time because most of us can't handle that as a human. And we don't want to lay it all on Jesus' feet at one time. We want to try to deal with some of it and lay some of it on his feet. I'm going to deal with this still, though. And it's all the simple things, man. It's the simple things that bury us. It's the addictions. It's the booze, the porn, the drugs, the lies, the cheat, the steal. It's the personal ego that's involved with it that just puts us in this hole with God. And I say hole because he's still standing there for you. It ain't buried. But if you don't open those doors, if you don't deal with those things that are fearful, and those are the real fearful things, do you not have faith? Do you not have faith? But I'm going to send this out of here high. The Lord loves us. Life is hard. Life is tough. I think life is harder for us now than it was necessarily for the disciples in the areas of addiction, in the areas of, you know, being tempted, in the areas of, you know, all the necessities that we have that can live in comfort, right? The disciples, you know, I was talking to somebody a while back and they're like, you know, something about, you know, what do I think a lot of the mental and emotional problems are coming from? I'm like, man, because people don't do hard things. Fact, right? I'm going to think about it, man. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. He didn't call them Uber. They didn't get in a car. They walked hundreds of miles out two by two doing hard things. And then walking into places they don't even know people. Speaking to them. Life threatened. You're going to die. You come in here. Hard things. But I still believe we're tasked with doing hard things for the gospel. I believe we're tasked for doing hard things internal to us to deal with the skeletons in the closet, to deal with the little chambers in our heart that we don't really want to open up to the world. And I, and, I, and I respect it and I love you for that because I've been there. I'm not telling you to open it up to the world. You're probably not ready for that, but you're probably ready to open it up to Jesus. And then Jesus will move it through you and realize he's going to use it for his good. Just like me. I'm able to tell you a story about doing it. I'm not hiding from it. Why? Why am I not hiding from it? Because I don't report to you. 
I report to Jesus. doesn't mean I'm less of a person because I say that or it's rude. But what I'm saying is I can't live off people's opinions of what I should be doing and how I should be doing it. I have to live off, am I doing it and putting in my faith in him? And if I can do that, I can open the chambers up, realizing there's consequences. I get it. But I can do it through him. You will never be able to do it alone. You're never going to be strong enough. You're never going to be tough enough. You're never going to be hard enough. You're never going to be fast enough. You're never going to be skilled enough. You're never going to be anything enough by yourself. And when you realize that, man, that's freedom. Because you are enough in him. I'm going to pray for us. I think today is a, 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 a fear and freedom is an interesting message. It's tricky uh, because fear is natural. Speaking deep into the heart of things we know, we all usually have something deep in there that we don't like to address. It's nasty. It's tough. But I think that's what Jesus calls us to do, man, is address it. But I want to remind you one thing about that story that I didn't speak about today. It's your church. What did it say about the boat? They were not alone. Right? They weren't out there by themselves. They were with other people. Oftentimes, you'll realize Jesus has placed these people in your life because they were the one to help you unlock something. Because they're not going to be the one that's over there putting it on, you know, the IG story or the, or, the, or the Facebook post. My God, another Christian won't believe what they told me today they've been doing. Right? Because they realize, man, it's your, it's your relationship with Christ that they're there for. Right? It's not even about them. They were just put there by Christ to be there for you. That's the church. That is what the church is. Just like out there on the ocean, they were not alone. You were not alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, we're in all of your name. We're in all of your blessings of life. We're in all of your, just your presence of life and everything that you constantly give us, God. And, uh, you know, what I pray for today, though, is for us, Lord, to just have our moments of reflection and our time with you that we can say, God, man, just come in every area of my heart, not 90% of it, not 92% of it, God. Come in 100% of this heart. Lord, heal me, fix me, use me for your good and your almighty, God. Uh, we just pray for each soul in here today, Heavenly Father, that they will be touched by your words. Not nothing that, and by that, Lord, I don't mean by my words, God, I mean by, by Mark 4, by Mark 1, by the word, Heavenly Father, that they realize that all I did was tell your story out of the Bible, God. That's all I did. It's your story that you've written as you're writing the stories in our lives today. God, may you continue to just be the author of each and every one of our lives at all times. For those that don't know Christ, whether they're in this room or not on the line, Heavenly Father, what I pray is that they feel, when they feel inside of them to understand like I'm feeling moved, that is the power of the Holy Spirit, God. When I pray for those that are in this room in a walk of discipleship, they feel something inside of them and they say, that is the move of the Holy Spirit, God. May we continue to move with the Spirit. May we continue to move towards the Spirit. May we fight off the things that want us to go short on our paths. May we fight off the things that don't want us to grow to be large in you. May we fight off the things that want us to continue to be quiet and not speak about it because it's captivating us because we're fearful. God, may we have faith in you. I pray a blessing for everybody in this room this week that they will continue to be a catalyst for you, to be a voice for you in all nations. We pray for Daniel and the team from down in Douglasville and just, God, that they will be a voice for you in the midst of Honduras. Heavenly Father, that they will love big and they will point everybody to you, God. We're thankful for you and all these things we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.